0: Hello, welcome to the Violet Nights podcast. I'm Nan Napoleon.
1: And I'm Alex Williams, and we work at South Bank Centre. We're at the moment we're in the busy foyers, as you can hear. Thanks for tuning in. Violet Nights is a social platform for topical discussions. We bring you guests at the heart of current conversations important to our generation. This month we're focusing on black women's experiences shaving their heads whilst navigating the politics of British barbershop culture.
0: This event was created by artist Rusa Toye and hosted by journalist and producer Shantae Joseph. I shaved my hair like a year ago and
2: I have had like a turbulent time to put it lightly with barbers.
0: Panelists include barber and academic Candice Skelton. I used to find going to barbershops like so awkward. I think the first time I cut my hair, I cut it myself. Award-winning writer and director Trix Rural, best known for the
3: sitcom Desmonds. I was young, the barber shop was called Lloyd. Yes, they didn't have a time. Used to rock up, you know, at various times to say, are you in?
0: And casting director Monica Sianga.
4: He cut all my hair I said, I don't want a grain of hair on my head. <laughs>
0: and barber and owner of Slider Carts,
5: Mark McIver. I think this is a vital part of the community because yeah. everybody is there. And what you do with it is
1: the important thing. But before we hear from them, the event kicked off with the brilliant poet, Bridget Minamar, performing live.
6: You'll get your hair done. Your auntie who's not your auntie works from the hive of her high-rise, seven stories up in the air. The lifts around here are always broken, so you climb. One step, two step, leap to avoid a puddle of piss. Four step, five step, six step, manoeuvre around the boys who have colonised this stairwell. Eight step, nine step, land on the 10th twist your body and do the same steps all over again and now you are on the first floor repeat this six times arrive at a black gate rusted but strong ball your fist and knock through the gap you find between two wrought strips of iron wait for the door to swing open away from your body wait for the gate to swing open into your face look at the child who has been sent to open both door and gate and step inside time passes your auntie who's not your auntie is perched on the edge of a wooden hard back chair she speaks into her mobile phone this crack screen link to back home resting talk between her chin and collarbone aunties around here like to multitask aunties around here like to talk she speaks a language you only half understand or she speaks a language you don't understand at all or she speaks a pigeon hybrid you understand more the more you listen to it her mouth is wired her voice is wider the sound of her speaking to someone who is not you, even though she is with you, fills the room. Ricochets off the high life she plays on a loop from a weathered stereo, bounces around and settles a little bit too loudly inside your ears. Aunt round here are loud. You are sitting cross-legged on a frayed pattern cushion, bum sore, legs cramped, mind resigned. Your back is a solid mass against the warmth of her crotch. You and this woman have become so close you are now the same person, perhaps both machine and its end product your neck rests taught between her knees your head periodically pulled from side to side as she braids each weft of hair right hand thumb and middle finger slip the strands together index hooks underneath wrist turns and pull the hair under never over left hand and left fingers join in to mirror those movements and now she has begun it's taken a few hours Her fingertips are ballet dancing in the air between your head and her breasts. Your auntie, who is not your auntie,
0: is making magic from and through and with your hair. Love that. Anyway, back to the main event now, and you can join the conversation by using hashtag ViolentNights and at South Frank on socials. Now let's jump straight in.
2: So the first question, which is for my panel. What is the role of the barbershop for the black community in 2019? And I'm going to start with Monica.
4: I think being a female in a barbershop, and I mean, I've been in every kind of barbershop you can think of, in terms of male perception, it does play a heavy role in our community in terms of how men think and how they socialise and what they talk about. I think that when I'm in a barbershop with men, it's very much very filtered, you know? It's like, oh, we're not going to talk about that because there's a woman in the room, or, Mm. you know, we, we might not talk about that bit because, you know, she's going to have an opinion. Um... And I think that it's important for women to sort of, I, I know everyone says, occupy those spaces, but really walk in there boldly for lack of a better term. <laughs> but do walk in there boldly because I think there's something about you kind of being there that does guide them in the way that they think and the way that they communicate.
2: Yes. Yeah. And Mark, you obviously are a barber yourself and run your own shop, so to you in that space in 2019, like what does it mean and what does it mean for the that community?
5: Well, it is traditionally and still is kind of like the community centre, especially now that there isn't any community centres. It has now become like, you know, the first point of call where it's like a place where everybody who is black, regardless of what kind of class you are, will meet in this place. Because I guess unlike, let's say, European barbershops where they have like their really high-end barbershops and they have the working class ones, which would be like, quote-unquote, like, the tops, you might have just seen it around. Mm. I guess the difference in the black barbershop is that, no matter who you are, you go to that shop. So you could be someone who sweeps the streets, you could be the heavyweight champion of the world, Mm. you could be a banker, a lawyer, you could work in Sainsbury's, you know, you could be into illegal activities, but whoever you are, (laughs) 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 no, but whoever you are, you know, as a black person, whoever you are, you all meet in that one space. And that's the reason why I think that the barbershop is so important because It's one of the few places where a vast variety of people can actually be in the same space and have a conversation. Mm.
2: And I guess when we think about barbershops traditionally and and portrayals of barbershops, Trictus One is for you, like how do you feel like barbershops have been portrayed through media, whether it be like film or theatre, and has that kind of done good for the image of it or has it kind of made it into the
3: unrepentant sort of institution that it is today? Well, it has in, in many respects. I mean, what I'll start with is how I sort of first pitched Desmond's. Yeah. I was asked to write a sitcom. I've never written a sitcom before. The only thing I felt was the fact that being black, you know, um, the only way we got through life then it, and now is through humour and fashion. And uh, when I went to pitch it to Humphrey Barclay, the production company, they said, uh, so what idea do you have? And I said, well, actually, it's set in a barbershop. And then they started laughing again, yeah, right. This is the third barbershop idea that we had this week. So what's gonna make yours so different? I said, well, the main protagonist, he can't even cut hair. <laughs> you know? And it's not about cutting hair, it is a community center. It's a place where black people can be black. Yeah. It's a place where you can argue the toss, you can cook food, you can go and even get one of the guys to go and place your bets on horses. So there is that genuine sense of community there and a, in a safe space.
2: And Candice, so you have recently started doing barbering for yourself. What is it that made you want to do that?
7: Um, so I, I used to be bald myself, um, and I used to find going to the barbershop was like, so awkward. Like, even from the beginning, I'd get a friend to come with me, or like, yeah, I wouldn't go on my own, and I'd long it out as long as possible until my hair was like crying for a haircut, <laughs> and then I'd go. I went to the barbershop like three times, and then I was like, okay, this is not for me, I'm just going to learn how to cut my hair myself. Bought some clippers and then maintained it myself, but... Uh, more, like, I think it was more talking to other, other bold women and like, mm. hearing like, stories like, over and over again that made me realise, okay, this is not like isolated incidents, this is like a trend. Mm. So, so many bold women experience the same things in barbershops,
4: so clearly there's a problem here.
2: And um, Monica, what are some of your experiences in those spaces?
4: Oh my God, where do I, where <laughs> do I begin? Um, so, I went into this barbershop and I was like, I'm going to i just found a girl in my dreams like we're gonna get married that's lesbians we're gonna get married i was like we're having 10 kids like it's about to be on i mean two women we can both get pregnant so i went <laughs> i went to the barber shop, and i was like in my love zone like i was like yes this is my life partner so i went in there and there was like loads of guys and they were watching football and carnivores on and um, then for some reason, because I had been going to this barber for a while now, so it wasn't, he didn't not know me. And then he's like, oh, you know, what are you doing this evening? I said, oh, I'm going to chill. He goes, oh, you're not coming Carnival. And I said, Carnival's not my thing, by the way. So I was like, oh, but my girlfriend's going to go. And then he was like, oh, your friend. I said, girlfriend? And he was like, that's not a real thing. Like, that's fine. You can bring her along. I said, um... I said, with all due respect, like that's my sexuality and I love this woman and I don't think you should disrespect me that way because that's somebody, if it was a man, you wouldn't feel this way, but he's like, but it's not and that's the point. So that was awkward for me and um, we had a conversation anyway with all the guys in the room and they were like, yeah, but I don't ever feel threatened if I want to move to a woman and she's in a relationship with another woman, that's not a real threat. I was fuming when I think I realise now that When I walk into barbershops, the sad thing about it is I can't start a conversation. Do you know what I mean? I have to wait and hear how my barber is like before I can even start talking.
2: Ruth, I want to bring you in on this as well. And I kind of (laughs) want to talk about the ways that black women, when they shave their hair, how it's either, oh, did your boyfriend just break up with you? That's why I shaved your hair. Or are you a lesbian? That's why you shaved your hair. And like, where is it that these ideas come from? And, And what are the perceptions of black women who kind of have shaved heads from your experience of talking to all of these people and interviewing them and whatnot?
7: For some straight women they've been like bamboozled by the fact that loads of people like are you gay
1: mm-hmm. um
7: and I think for some of the other women it was how their families responded I remember Louis saying you know it was a bonding moment for her and her dad and her dad like started barbing her hair oh. you know and that was like one of the really like beautiful narratives that came out of it some people's mm-hmm. friends again being like so you've always given me these kind of like gay vibes like so now like are you are you really gay now I your hair? or also this thing of you're bold so you're edgy you know and or you know you're fiery or you're like can't i just be like mediocre black girl with a bold head and just be living my life do you know i mean it's not everyday black excellence do you get yeah, what i'm saying yeah, like, yeah, of course. and it's not everyday be the face of something sometimes right. we just want to navigate go to work, go to sleep, and be mediocre, like, you know, in my most recent role, so I I work in the corporate world, yeah, and um, my CEO had touched my head, like, on my first day. I heard that gasp, that was my whole spirit, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) And, like, I'm from Hackney, so, you know, reflex is natural, do you know what I mean? Like, and I could have definitely got fired that day, and it was really mad because it was, like, in what world would i just go up to somebody's head and say hello hi i really like your head do you get what i'm saying so there's this conversation of privilege there's this conversation of the lack of autonomy there's this conversation of what like what actually like what is this this is madness like I, i wouldn't even do it to someone i know
1: Hi again, hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, we'll tell you later about our upcoming and free podcast making course so that you could be creating one of these next year.
0: So backstage, we chatted to Trix, Bridget and Monica, where we first asked Trix if he's seen conversations change in barbershop culture.
3: Yes, it has. And I've seen that through my children too, because um, when I've gone to get my hair cut and they've been with me and they're going to get their hair cut, them hearing older black men talking... They found it really weird and slightly empowering, too, and found the whole situation amazing because, you know, they seldom will they be in a space where two gen- or three generations of black men can talk and be open and frank and candid, which is what barbers are about, really.
6: I think a big part of the conversation
3: around barbershops also has to include uh,
6: conversations around black women hairdressers and the differences and similarities between those two separate spaces, one traditionally a female quote unquote space, one traditionally a quote unquote male space. Uh, you know, my aunt is one of the first hair black hairdressers to have her own shop in, in, in Scotland, in Glasgow, and actually I was always in awe of the barbershop because the barbershop space was often owned by one of the men who was on the floor and that was his space. Whereas the female hairdresser's shops, we, that uh, business ownership model for loads of reasons, they didn't own their shops, they were hiring their shops from other people. And I think that's a big part of the reason why as gentrification continues to go across black working class communities, the black barber shops seem to be still in the same spaces whereas the <coughs> women's hairdressing salons, which made a lot more money, have been cleared out a lot faster.
4: In terms of, I guess, conversations, I feel like they have evolved, actually, because when I first went in there, it was just really raw, like, people said what they said, and it was like, this is a matter of fact, where I feel like now you do sometimes have you know battles between. Sometimes I don't talk, but sometimes it's men on men just going, "Well, no, actually, I don't think that's the right way to think about things." To different generations, and and that is happening. Which also happens
6: in the in the women's dressing yeah. space yeah. at the same time. You know, the conversations that I was hearing from the aunties 15 yeah. years ago are very different. Different to the conversations now, like now, I might criticise the film we're watching and mm-hmm. ask, them. "I might say I want to turn that off mm-hmm. because I feel like it's a really toxic ideal." And and you know, they might fight back, but yeah. I would never have said that. Years 15 ago. years ago. Yeah. If I didn't like the style I was getting, I would, I would sit just there. sit there. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would, I would sometimes like, wait for my undercut to grow out because I wouldn't want them to comment on it like mm. in their
1: perceptions.
6: And so I think it's a positive thing. Yeah. I think actually it's just, yeah, things are changing. Mm.
1: Mm. Now back to the stage. Here's Shantae.
2: Before we kind of go on to, like, I guess, solutions and next steps and stuff like that, I'm keen to, like... I guess put it to you guys to see what your experiences were like cutting your hair, why you cut your hair, how people perceived you. Anyone wants to share anything?
8: I'm an ex bored person, so I was only bored for about two or three months in the summer. I shaved it for similar reasons to what you were saying. It was just, for me, it wasn't particularly revolutionary. It was like, I just want to try it. Like, I just want to go bored and see what happens. Um, and my mum was, first of all, my dad thought I was gay, and he called me so many times <laughs> and he was texting me. Like, You know, we can talk. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Even if I was, it's not an issue. But the main story that I wanted to tell was I was in Romania at the security desk, like border control. And in my passport, I have hair, but in real life I was bored. And he was looking at me and looking at my passport and looking at me and looking at the passport. And he was like, why did you shave your hair off? And I was like, quite bubbly. I was like, oh, I just felt like it. You know, like, you know, it was liberating for me. And then he said, You can't come back to this country unless you have hair. Oh, what? And then I was like, oh, well, yeah. oh. I didn't know it was <laughs> a joke. What? So I was kind of like just l- looking at him, and he was like, I'm not, I'm not joking, I'll call security. And then, if, if, and then he puts his hand on the phone, and I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> it, it I was like, oh, okay. Like, no. Um, and he was just like, If you dare to try to come back to this country again with hair and you see me, I'm not letting you in and i was like wow okay so yeah that was probably my
2: oh favorite wow. that was crazy thank you for sharing okay so wow thank you for all these stories mark coming back to you because you've been you've been sitting patiently like wow um, i'm listening so you run a barbershop you are a barber hmm. whose responsibility is it to call out this culture in barbershops
5: the owner of the barbershop yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the owner of the barbershop sets the precedent of how the environment is, or the owner of the barbershop should. In history, I guess in the past, it had not really had structure, mm. the black barbershop. So I think we're in a place now where it's starting to gain a lot more structure, and that is through different businesses, I'd say, mine being one of them. Mm. The barbershop just understanding they are a business and owners just understanding, actually, you need to create a structure and a code of conduct, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, down to whatever you think a business should be. Obviously, I can't directly tell each owner that it should be exactly like this or exactly like this or like how it is in my shop but you need to actually have an understanding of how do you actually want it to be like when I started doing my business talks the first thing I used to get people to say all the time was just say I am a business because I just felt like not bashing on our people I just felt like genuine black communities they weren't running businesses as businesses and they had this kind of attitude it just little things like you know um opening times (laughs) Listen,
2: my barber, <laughs> he comes when the wind blows him, that's when he decides to open.
5: You know? And but what's funny is I remember being in a shop I used to work in and I remember saying, having barbers who, were, who I was t- constantly telling them, you need to have opening times. <laughs> and I wasn't the owner, but I said, you need to have opening and closing times. And that was the point when it hit me. Oh, that's what it is. You don't think you're a business. <laughs> so you expect it from businesses, but because you don't see yourself as a business, you don't expect it from yourself. Mm.
2: How do we improve these spaces then? Like, how do we get them to become more accommodating of us? Because, I mean, eventually it's going to get to a point where people are just not going to go to these spaces. Do you know well, what I mean? Well, I think, you know,
3: I mean, I've been doing a lot of research into barbershops and uh, women owning barbershops, especially in America now. Um, what's happening, really, is supply and demand. So the young kids now want more style, they want different things. So subsequently, the barbers will have to change. Mm. And I think we are in transition now. Yeah. yeah. From when I used to go to the barber as a kid, you know, used to go, I want this, and I came out with a number one, yeah. you know. I mean, everybody <laughs> everybody yeah. came yes. out looking the, the same. The pictures were just decorations, so I do feel now that, you know, there is, a, you know, supply and demand will change the, the shape and the way barbers behave.
2: Thank you so much for being such an incredible panel and an incredible audience. You guys have been amazing.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a really good event. I think it's really important for the South Bank to put things like this on. Yeah, really important. It's a great mix of like, different
2: ages here as well. And also hearing from a black man that owns a barbershop, that's quite comforting to know that there are barbershops out there that you can go to and just so feel
0: comfortable. And I also like the fact that there were like men in the room, actually. I think that kind of added an interesting level to it. Really. Definitely. I feel
7: like there were a lot of nuances as well, but I didn't actually realise that I had experience but hadn't really thought much of it.
0: We hope you found this Violet Nights podcast on bald black girls as thought-provoking as we did. Hashtag Violet Nights or at Southbank Centre on socials to get involved in a conversation.
1: Yeah, and if you're between 18 and 25, you can apply for a spot on our free two-day podcast making course. If you love them and want to know how to make one, on this two-day course, you'll learn how to plan, make and share your own podcast by working on episodes of Violet Nights alongside us and a couple of pod experts.
0: If that sounds cool, head to Southbank Centre's website or just search Southbank Violet Nights and we should pop up. It's free. This episode was produced
1: by me, Holly Isaac Smith.
0: And me, Piper Khan. And
6: me, Emily Giles. And me, Anna Phillips. And me, Bridget Norman. And me, Vivian
0: Adibio. And me, Isabel Turton. And me, Leah Ammonia. It's been mixed by Phil Brown and exec produced by Crystal Genesis.
1: We're having a month off, so our next episode is in January with Fitness Collective Food and Lycra, which will end in a workout to so bring energy and a water bottle. I'm Nanza Napoleon, And I'm Alex Williams, and we're your hosts. Until then, bye. See ya.